It's Joe Esposito talking college basketball on Cofield and Company. All right, let's do it. Good energy. Last hour from our buddy in Denver, Judge Dan Jacobs. We know we're going to get it in Arizona. So we talk college basketball. We love college hoops on the show. It's Cofield. It's Candy. Ari's here. Coach Joe Esposito is in. What's up, Coach? Not much, man, but the NCAA, man, what did they do? What did they do? I just I just got the news. The transfer rule is going in effect, and you can pick up and leave, and there's no penalty. What is happening? Wait, when does that expire? Is that forever? That's going to be through your, through your whole deal. So they just passed it. It just came out about 15 minutes ago. ESPN announced it and said that, the transfer one-time rules in effect. If you're a one-time you get, you go to a school, okay. you have one time to transfer, you do not have to sit. And you have to let your school know before July 1st. I mean, just think about how that's going to ruin so many programs at the mid-major level and how the big boys are just going to be recruiting off of mid-major teams. I mean, a great example, the best shooter at Drake, probably their best scorer, best player, he's going to Kansas. That's going to be a continued thing, and I think it's terrible for the game. But, Joe, don't you think it's going to flow the other way, too, that uh, Power 5 kids are going to get uh, you know, down on the dumps after a year or two and not playing, and then those players filter down? I think that will definitely happen. I think that you'll see guys that aren't playing or something goes wrong that they'll filter down. But everybody wants to play at the highest level. I mean, everybody does. And, and those kids, you know, a lot of those kids, a lot about ego and – and uh, it's just I, I just think that's going to be hurtful more or hurt more the mid-major schools right. because what's happened now is you win a game in the NCAA tournament and they pluck you. You know, look yep. Abilene Christian coach. He just got plucked with the UTEP job. I mean, it's happening all over the place. It's happening with coaches. It's happening with players. It's going to be interesting. Got it. And, uh, you know, say a program like Wyoming, you're trying to build things, and I think he's actually doing a good job of building. He nailed one in his first recruiting class with this uh, Marcus Williams kid, and then he's in the portal. So it's tough to it's tough to build continuity through freshmen uh, when you're a, a school or a coach at a at a mid major. Well, as a coach, you got you have to embrace this. You got you got to adjust. You got to figure out what the best way to do things. And I got to tell you, the guy I hate to say it because I can't stand him, and he's disloyal. And uh, who knows? Maybe he'll take another job here in three weeks, and we won't have to talk about him at Texas. But Chris Beard is a guy who I think saw this coming. He's a guy who bounced around a lot of schools you know, Juco level and his whole notion of like, hey, I may have a new team every year. I think it's probably going to work for him because he has kicked booty in this, you know, first four weeks of the transfer portal. Yeah, you know, he, I, know I know you guys at Vegas, you know, don't like the guy because he left Las Vegas and I get all that. But uh, he, he knows the formula. I mean, he be, he may be one of the coaches in the country that gets it, was a little bit above, uh, uh, you know, ahead of his time as far as understanding what he needed to do to be successful. He realized that he can handle one and done, or he can do grad transfers, whatever it may be. I mean, the kid he got out of Utah, Timmy Allen, you know, six six kid, first team All Pac twelve. You know, he's a great player, seventeen points a game, six rebounds. I really like him. The kid of Kentucky is just a solid point guard. The Devin Askews, he's another kid they got. He was a top forty player coming out of high school. Didn't show tons at, at uh, Kentucky his first year with six points a game, three assists, but he's got a tremendous IQ. He's really going to help them. And then the Texas Tech commit that they got, Texas Tech, four-star kid, 35th in the nation, Jalen Tyson, he decided to go to Texas. So Beard's got it going. And not only does he have it going with his recruiting, he put together a stellar staff. 
he put together an incredible group of assistant coaches that have so much experience. And one of them was Rodney Terry, who he pulled out of the tip. And uh, guys are now taking college assistance jobs instead of staying as a head coach at Division One because college assistant jobs are paying so much money now. It's ridiculous. What do you think about that, Joe? What do you think about making the move from having control of the program, from being the man? Like, that's always been the standard in terms of moving up and, you know, making your way in the industry to going and sitting in the number two or number three chair. You know, it's just changing. It's just the way it is financially with guys. You know, this is your avenue to get you right for your retirement. And you got to take the most money you can. You know, there's really not a pension in college basketball. You know, we're, we're coaches, and when we take, you know, we get the 401K, the school deal, you know, whether it's called TIA Craft or Fidelity or, you know, whichever one it may be, and, and they pump money in there too. Now, don't get yourself wrong. They do do that. I mean, we put 10% in there. They may match 10% or whatever it may be, but there's no pension. You know, there's no, like, after 20 years and you do something as a police officer or, or 20 years as a school teacher, you max out that pension. So I think for college basketball coaches, and especially assistants that may not be ever have a chance to be a head coach, they want to get the money situation right so that they can retire, you know, with a good amount of money. So for a guy to leave a job that's paying them 300000 or 400000 and now go make seven or 800 as an assistant, I think that's appealing to a lot of guys, and you're seeing it a lot. I mean, the guy, at Portland, the guy at Portland State, you know, he just left, and he went to Texas Tech as associate head coach, and he's making over a half a million dollars. Coach Joe Esposito joining us from the Valley of the Sun here on Cofield & Company. Steve Cofield and Adam Candy. Coach, I made the argument to Cofield last time we talked that I wasn't 100% convinced that Texas was a better job than Texas Tech. And I get it. The money is different at Texas than it is at Texas Tech, whether we're talking about assistants, whether we're talking about head coaches, whether we're talking about facilities. But in the end, it feels to me like I can look at Texas Tech over the last 15 to 20 years and see a lot more success than I can at Texas. You had a guy in Shaka Smart who was one of those mid-major coaches who waited it out, took the job that he really wanted, went to Texas, and then left. Uh, what do you think? Is Texas a better job than Texas Tech? Well, I can tell you this. I, I, I was at Texas Tech eight years ago, and when we took over the program at Texas Tech, they went through four head coaches in four years and finished in last place four straight seasons. So we got in there, and our first year we did very average. Second year we brought a great class in, and in our third year we were able to go to the NCAA tournament with a great recruiting class of four young men. That same recruiting class that went to the NCAA tournament with us as freshmen um, go on to go to the Elite Eight as they graduated, and then one of them stayed on and went to the Final Four. So I was part of that rebuild and know firsthand what it's about. Texas Tech is not a better job than Texas. Um, they didn't have a practice facility. When we were at Texas Tech, there was no practice facility, and that was something that was big. Um, they just built one of the best practice facilities just now. And a lot, of that, a lot of that has to do with what Beard did there. You know, when Beard took over after we left, we left in pretty good, you know, pretty good situation. Um, so the Texas difference in the Texas Tech and the Texas job, Texas does have, you know, a tremendous amount of money, as, as, you're, as you're seeing in that way they're paying their coaches. They do have good facilities. So does Texas Tech. But uh, they're building a new arena at Texas. Living in Austin is a little different than living in Lubbock. Now, I loved Lubbock. 
but I think a student athlete and a college student may like Austin just a little bit better. There's more more things around that area, um, easier in and out of Austin. So um, they're very similar in some regards. But the Texas jobs got that deal where you know Texas is Texas, and Texas Tech has never been the number one school in that state. Now, granted, I would have stayed at Texas Tech if it was me because I love that place and love the people and love the community. But uh, for Chris Beard, being a graduate of Texas, he had to make that move, and I think that'll be where he'll end up staying for a long time and doing pretty well. So we start talking about Texas and Texas Tech and a lot of big names in the Big 12, and the big names from all over the country are knocking on the door of Bryce Hamilton, who, of course, is in the transfer portal for UNLV. Now, transfer portal as one thing, uh, you know, putting his foot out there in the waters for the NBA draft as another thing. Uh, what do you think is the right fit for Bryce Hamilton if he does end up coming back to college? You know, he's going to have to get to a situation where, you know, he, he can definitely develop his game. You know, being around a staff that's good with developing his game. You know, for his career, he's shooting 32% from three. I think he can definitely shoot better. He needs to shoot better because he's going to have to play on the perimeter, obviously, at the next level. Um, scored a lot of points last year, but a lot of meaningless games. You know, he scored a lot of points in, in games that, you know, were either over or they were just trying to get a bucket. And he had a lot of freedom. I don't know necessarily where it'll go. Now, I don't know if he can transfer. Uh, you guys probably could tell me this. I don't know if the rules change, but can he actually transfer in league? If he can, I think he would go to New Mexico. Um, Eric oh, wow. Brown, who Eric Brown was one of our assistant coaches at UNLV, yeah. and he recruited Bryce. So there may be a chance that, that he could go to New Mexico, but I don't know if you can do that. I don't think you can. Um, but if you could, I think that would be a possibility. It'll be interesting. I think he'd stay out west, personally. You know, if he could find a place out west, he's definitely a guy that loves California and loves being on the west coast. If he can get to a USC and be so lucky to play for a team like that, he may do well because they can play a pretty open style. But he's got to go somewhere where those coaches have helped with development um, and where he can develop and continue to grow as a player because he has a knack for scoring. He definitely has, you know, a lot of good control over his body. And I think you'll see in time, if he works on his defense, gets a little stronger, gets a little quicker, I think he'll be playing for some money someday for sure. Joe Esposito is with us, a former coach at UNLV in Texas Tech and Memphis and Minnesota, plenty of other stops. And he's our insider when it comes to college basketball. So it's been really busy the last week out of the transfer portal. A lot of guys coming out, uh, you know, picking schools. We mentioned how well Chris Beard has done. Maryland added some impact players. Syracuse, uh, you know, a lot of dudes who are at power fives are just below averaging 10 to 15 points a game. UNLV so far has kind of gone with building blocks and guys who weren't at playing time at power fives. Do you expect them to start landing some some bigger names and maybe, you know, from the, the level that's a little lower than the Mountain West Conference? What do you think the plan is here to make sure that they have an impactful first year where they can really compete? Well, you know, they did get the three guys, you know, the transfer from Texas, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. And you know, those guys, to me, I believe, are all role guys. I mean, I don't really see, you know, Royce Ham may be a guy that even though he hasn't had a great start or end, you know, to his career, he's going to finish off his career at UNLV. I think he's a guy that may have an upside uh, where he may be able to really contribute. But they need somebody to go to. You know, if they're going to lose Mbake now, they're going to lose Bryce. I mean, they need a go-to guy, and I'm sure they're working hard in that transfer portal. But like you said, the transfer portal has just been 
incredible for a lot of teams. I mean, it's just a great way to recruit. You look at the, the kid from UNC, the big kid, uh, Walker. Um, you know, he's going to Auburn. That was probably the best get of the portal so far. I know we talked a little bit about Beard's get with Timmy Allen, which I think was a pretty good get. And then I'll be honest with you, there's a great player coming into the Mountain West, Matt Bradley from, from Cal. Yep. The kid is strong. He's got a big body. He can shoot it. He's a 40% three-point shooter on his career. And he is a great fit for San Diego State. And uh, I think he's going to cause a lot of troubles in that league. And that transfer portal definitely helped them in a lot of ways. Can you talk about Nbake Jong? You know, sad to see that he's probably going to go bye-bye. I mean, a high-character guy. And, you know, when you guys brought him in, uh, he really wasn't – the plan wasn't to play him that first year. I mean, he, he, had, to, he had to go out there, you know, under-equipped to compete – with dudes who are much bigger than him. But from a character standpoint, what what is the next coach getting with an Mbake Jong? Well, you're getting a guy that's a team guy. You know, there's not a better teammate. He's a he's a great person, a great student. He loves his teammates. I mean, he's always got a smile on his face. And, you know, he put up some really good numbers for a guy that wasn't a focal point on the team this year. You know, averaging nine points and seven rebounds. you got to block a game where I think he can get a little bit more action uh, for sure. But overall, for the season, he shot 61% from the field. And if he had more attempts than he did, he would have been in the top five or ten in the country. So he's a guy that you're going to get just a lot of great things with. You know, he's the kind of guy that's a glue guy, a guy that's not going to hurt you when he's out there. He definitely can alter shots, which is important. I think he needs to get on a team that likes to press, likes to get up and down the floor, where he can run the floor and definitely be back line of help on some, some pressure. But, uh, hey, he's a great one and a great person, and I look forward to seeing where he ends up and how he finishes off his career. Joe, what's going on with spring ball and your basketball team? My basketball team, we're 4-0. and We're rolling through here. Cesar Chavez, we play tomorrow. It's kind of been exciting. I've been enjoying it. You know, it's a different, obviously a different role and a different thing for me being a, a college guy through and through and end up being at a high school. But it's great to see these young men develop. I already got one of my players a scholarship offer, his first Division One scholarship offer. He's a, uh, he's a sophomore, and I got a great little point guard who's a freshman. So, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to be coaching here. But, hey, before we go now, let, we got to talk about who's going to win it next year. I mean, we always say we're going to say, I, I told you last week, my number one team next year uh, is Ohio State. Why? Well, because they're returning their three top starters. You know, with Washington, who averaged 16, and Lydell, 16, and, and Suing, 11. And they were a number two seed this year, and they bring in a top 30 kid. I just like Ohio State next year. I feel like they're going to be pretty good. And if you're going to go to one of those little betting areas where you're going to pick the winner for next year, I would take Ohio State. I would right. take UCLA. UCLA's got just about everybody back. They got the number five, a five-star kid, one of the top players in the country coming in with the Peyton Watson. I think Mick Cronin's got a real legitimate chance to win it. I love Purdue. Everyone's back on Purdue, and they, they got their best player back. I like Maryland. Your boy Fat Russell trans, Fats Russell transferred in. They're another good one. Absolutely think Kansas is going to be back where they need to be next year. They've got four starters back. Remember their last 11 games, they started playing well. They won nine of those 11, and they got that great transfer from Drake. And Duke. Duke, to me, is going to be a team that's going to be knocking on the door. They've got the best recruiting class in the country, three five-star guys. Two of them are one-and-dones. I think they're loaded. 
I think college basketball is going to be back to what we expect next year, and I think it's going to be awesome. By the way, Joe, uh, UCLA may also add a – I'll call him a student first and then an athlete – the uh, the big guy at Rutgers, Miles Johnson, was an eight and eight guy and really you know really good with the block shots. He actually graduated uh, engineering school there, and he wants to go post grad engineering. So he tweeted out the other day. He didn't say he's going there, but he tweeted out that he'd been accepted at UCLA's engineering school. So they may add an impact guy to you know go and bully people at you know six nine two sixty. And they got the momentum. I mean UCLA's a big name again. Mick Cronin's done a great job, as we know. The run they had this year is just going to build more interest. You know, and uh, they're going to be really good. They're going to be tough. So it's going to be exciting to see how it goes. I know it's early. You don't hear the word Baylor out of my mouth. You don't hear the <laughs> word Gonzaga out of my mouth. But if Gonzaga gets that seven-foot kid out of Minnesota, the number one player in the country, Ted Holmgren, and they get Hunter Sales, two great five-star players, I think Gonzaga will be back in the mix right away as well. Thanks, Joe. Great spot. We'll talk to you. All right, buddy. Take care. We'll see you next week. There he is, Coach Joe Esposito right here on Cofield and Company. Our legal insider comes in next, uh, Justin Watkins, with a bunch of legal topics to break down, including the uh, charges levied towards uh, Kim Potter, the uh, ex-police officer in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's happening too frequent. Uh, a young 20-year-old kid gets killed not too far from where they're having a trial for another black man getting killed. Like, that that shouldn't happen. Like, it shouldn't be that frequent where somebody gets killed through the same thing that somebody else is being on trial for doing. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. Right, we're live at the Battle Born Broadcast Center. Justin Watkins is here. Adam Candy alongside as we have a lot of issues to get into. Extended spot today because there's so many important stories to hit on. Uh, coming out there, you hear Josh Akogi and NBA player. Um, just you know, just the confusing feeling right now uh, as the the Chauvin trial is going on around you know the death of George Floyd, and then we have a similar incident here. Uh, people are confused. African Americans are very angry, and they should be. It doesn't feel like a, a safe space right now at all. And now we find out today the officer who did resign the other day, the chief also resigned, but that officer is charged with uh, second degree manslaughter. So I want your comment on that in a second. I just wanted to get kind of the, the vibe of what people are thinking right now, because Again, it's very confusing. It's very frustrating. It doesn't seem like things are changing. This is Jalen Brown talking about the situation and just who he is as a as a person. That uh, you know, there are bigger things out there than just playing basketball. We shouldn't be pleading or persuading people to see things for what they are. Uh, we know what this system is, and we know what it's capable of. Um, but if, if you're watching this, listening, or tuning in, I just want you to know that your life has value. So much value. That they're trying so hard to, to make you feel otherwise. My life has value. Uh, my life has value. Before I played for the Celtics, and it will long after. At some point, you realize what you're dealing with. Uh, the power has and always will be with the people. You got to stand up and fight. What other solution do we have? Um, that's really all I got. What do you think when you hear athletes involved, and then you hear other people who are like, I don't want this in my, in my world of sports? I mean, I like when athletes speak out on uh, – I like hearing the real pe- people. For me, I mean, watching sports isn't just about the what happens between the lines for me. It's it's like I, it's like I tell my friends, you know, my wife will watch MMA with me. And I can get her to watch MMA, 
but the the easiest way for her to get involved is if I know the fighter and I give a backstory. If I can give her a backstory on the fighter, she's in. The stories around the people, who they are as people matters. To me, I don't like if I don't know any of the players on the Golden Knights, would I still go and, and and would I still watch? I probably would. But does it make it more meaningful that I know a little bit about the personalities and I and I know who they are? Yes, it does for me. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. It, that's what this is. It, it, sports isn't life or death to me. I grew up playing sports. You know, I went to college on it. I mean, it, it was the centerpiece of my life. And it was... It's entertainment at the end of the day. I mean, for, for me as a participant, it was about physical fitness and all. Like, there's a lot of good benefits to it. But um, when I'm watching sports, I'm watching entertainment, and the personalities matter. I like to hear what's on their mind, even if I don't agree with it. Your thoughts on the charge, second-degree manslaughter. Is that about right? I don't know. Um, I hear the frustration from the families, which is is like, well – she thought she was grabbing the taser and according to the video she shouts on the body cam shouts taser shoots him and says oh my god i just shot him so in in court you know that some of that would be seen and characterized as an excited utterance which is supposed to lend credibility to the statement that it was true right that it wasn't planned it's really what was going through the person's mind at the time but I just hear another situation in which the cops are getting the benefit of the doubt. She says she made a mistake and well, so she made a mistake. So we're going to charge her with this. I mean, yes, we're making progress. We got a charge. That's a big deal. It is progress, but also it looks like the district attorney's office is fully adopting her explanation as to it was a mistake without, you know, doing what happens to everybody else. Start at the most severe charge possible and use it as a bargaining chip to get them to plead to the most reasonable charge. That's not what's happening here. So can this change? Yeah, I mean, they can add charges, yeah. but I, I don't think that they're going to. And, um, you know, when, when people see police officers being treated differently by the criminal justice system, before it was, they never got charged. You know, thank God for body cam, thank God for, you know, uh, surveillance videos that now exist because who knows what would have been said 15 years ago in an incident like this, you know, and, and how, how, if you thought that something went wrong, how you could combat it, what kind of stories were told. There's only one side to be told. So yes, we're making a ton of progress, but I don't think a second degree charge in this situation is what we would expect if the roles were reversed. If the young black kid had shot, a white woman accidentally. Justin Hawkins, said he did it accidentally. Justin Hawkins, our legal insider from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. So the the officer involved and the chief both resigned. Is there a strategy there? Why were they not fired? I I hear this and and I don't know how much credibility I give to it exactly, but the the theory is by resigning that they retain um, you know some of their pension. Um, I don't know what the collective bargaining agreement is in Minnesota and whether or not somebody's fired and what levels of being fired and if that affects the pension, whether they forfeit the pension, whether they're eligible for rehire or not. I, I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of it. Um, you know, maybe they just resigned because they felt like 
they did a bad job. Maybe the woman is so super remorseful mm -hmm. that she doesn't feel like she could ever do the job again. I'm not going to assume there's a nefarious motive behind what's being done there. Um, but I certainly can't rule it out either. I don't, I don't know enough about the particulars. Lots more to get to with Justin Watkins up next. We're going to get to the, uh, the NFL and initial dealings here with the vaccine. And yeah, there's some breaking news uh, in relation to the Deshaun Watson cases. It looks like at least one case has been dropped and uh, another woman may be dropping out because uh, of the notoriety she's getting and she's not comfortable with it. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. We were just talking about the goings-on in Minneapolis, uh, very sad. You got the trial going on for George Floyd. Also, uh, what happened with Dante Wright as well. And athletes are speaking up. And, you know, we heard from uh, Josh Kogi and Jalen Brown a little bit earlier. Uh, hey, you know what? Everyone has the right to voice their opinion. Um, you know, I'm not going to – if you give it out there on the, the vaccine, good or bad, I'm not going to say, you know, stick to being a plumber or stick to being whatever, a casino executive, uh we all have a right to speak our mind. And I, to me, on the law enforcement thing, we all have a right to be concerned about our communities. We all pay taxes. So hopefully people are educated, but we all have an opinion to, to you know, make a judgment on how our communities are being policed. That's just the, that's the bottom line in this. Uh, let's get to the NFL in terms of that, that opinion on the vaccine. First, I, we, we send a long rundown to each other and, and go to the stories beforehand. But one thing I did not include, I, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you saw yesterday, there was a, uh, an official in Erie County, you know, Buffalo, who came out and said, uh, Bills and Sabres fans, you're going to have to show proof of vaccination. That's just the deal. If we want 100 percent capacity, you're going to have to show proof of vaccination. And then he went even further. He's like, we controlled the stadiums just like and the arenas, just like, uh, you know, you can't come in with an open container. Uh, you know, we have other rules. Essentially, it's not your God-given right to come to a football game. And you know that's – I mean, that's going to happen in several places. People are going to explode. So what do you think of a, a local official coming out and saying, hey, we have this vaccine passport of sorts for you to get in? I, I to, In my view, I think it's being a good steward of taxpayer money, right? You have an obligation as an elected official who's running an arena or a stadium to ensure that that arena or a stadium is maximizing its profitability and utility to the community it serves. And – if people don't, here's the reality. If people don't get the vaccines, they go to sporting events or concerts. The best they can do is like 30% in most arenas with social distancing and spacing. They can't even get to 50%. The, the spacing doesn't work out. So if if I'm an elected official and and I and the, the government owns arena or the stadium, I'm saying we need that thing at 100%. What do the health officials say? How do we get to 100%? Well, Justin, they all have to be vaccinated. Boom, that's the rule. You want to go to a game, you got to be vaccinated because I'm not going to let this, this arena that the taxpayers paid for come back as a liability on the community moving forward. I'm going to ensure that our taxpayer dollars are protected and that we don't have to use other sources of tax income to pay for any liability that's been incurred here. So you know what? If you're against... The vaccine, that's you're just not going to a Bills game. You're not going to a Sabres game. You watch it on TV. 
because we have to have everybody in there at 100%. Now, again, how long does that last? I don't think that lasts forever only because once everybody has had the right, the ability, the, the freedom and ability to get the vaccine and they make their choice, they choose not to, and they want to go to 100% capacity at that point, well, then they're taking their own risk. They're risking their own lives. At that point, all the science tells us that the people who are are already protected. So I think you can open it to 100% once you've crossed that threshold. I don't think we're far from that threshold in the state of Nevada. As I understand, the state of New York is a little bit more difficult. Justin, when we talk about the state of Nevada and the fact that the governor has announced that 100% capacity, uh, you know, from the state's perspective, can begin June 1st. It can be sooner than that uh, if the county decides that it wants to be that way. What Steve and I were talking about earlier is that we wonder if Vegas is in a bit of a unique situation because of how much, uh, you know, how much tourism drives what's going on here and how much when we talk about what the capacity of any given place is, that the capacity of T-Mobile Arena having 20,000 people who are coming in for a UFC fight, the makeup of that of where people are coming from and what those rates might look like wherever they happen to be from might be a lot different than say I'm just going to pick a random place out and say that uh, you know down in Texas where they had full capacity for Globe Life Field that it's probably a lot easier to look at what their numbers are locally and extrapolate out that to 40 45,000 people. I mean what do you think in terms of uh, you know our ability to to do that here in Nevada? Absent requiring that Actions? I don't I don't see that happening anytime in the next like two months to 100% capacity without requiring any vaccination. I, I, I don't see it um, just because not because I don't think it's the right or wrong or the right uh, policy position or I'm against it. I just don't think that they are going to be able to say that everybody who's going to come to your point. We got a lot of visitors coming in from a lot of states who don't have the ability to get the vaccine yet until we can say nationwide. Everybody can get the vaccine that wants to. I don't know that that politically anybody's going to want to step on those tracks and say, we don't care if you've had the chance to get the vaccine or not. If you're one of the lucky ones who did, you get to go to the game. If you're one of the unlucky ones who didn't, you don't get to. I, I just don't I don't think we're going to have that. I just don't think we're going to be in that position in the next for sure 30 days. But I do think um, if, you know, state of Nevada, I think we will have vaccinated attendance go up. I do. I just don't think that we're going to have it with the unvaccinated because there's just too many states that don't have that ability to get everybody vaccinated yet. Justin Watkins is with us at Battleborn Broadcast Center. All right, let's talk about what the NFL did. The NFL came out yesterday and said uh, vaccinations are required for team employees who want tier one, tier two access, essentially who want any access to be around the players. What do you think of that? And this is one of those workplace rights things we've been talking about. We knew it was coming for months and months and months. So, uh, you know, if I'm if I work in the building with the Raiders and I'm like, I'm an anti-vaxxer. Wait, what do you mean? I can't do my job now. That means you can't do your job. Right. You you have no right to you can still write your story if your paper is uh, still willing to keep you on as a reporter. But your access is not guaranteed. You know, you're. The, and I don't mean a reporter. I mean someone who works within the building, you know, okay. as a Raider, Raiders administration. Right. Get the vaccine or, you know, maybe maybe they'll accommodate you. Maybe they'll allow you to work in a, you know, remotely or from home or a different type of thing. But you're not going to be in and around the players and other people. And even if they, you say, well, Justin, all the players have been vaccinated. 
then um, I'm starting to w- willing to hear that that topic. Like I said, I'm willing to hear that debate. My only pause there would be, I think that the science has pretty well conclusively said that vaccinated people do not transmit the virus without catching it. I think I think we're there, but I, I'm not 100%. If we're not 100% there on the science yet, then I would say, well, we know a lot of these players, a lot of the people who work at the building have children. Children aren't able to be vaccinated yet. And so therefore, if you're going to work in the building, everybody needs to be vaccinated. I, I, can, I can stand behind that policy. If we get to the point where everybody's had the chance to get the vaccine who's wanted it, and the science conclusively says that people cannot transmit the, the virus from non-vaccinated to another non-vaccinated as a host, um, then I think that argument's going to fall to the wayside a little bit because the argument would be, if I choose not to get vaccinated, I'm only risking me. That, that's the only way that they, they have a leg to stand on. The minute I could show you science that your lack of vaccination risks anybody other than you, I think you lose that argument. Candy, jump in because I know you wanted to address just how far the NFL can take this. So what were you thinking? Well, I guess the question for me, Justin, is we look at, let's say we look at the military and the fact that the military has not been required. They have not had orders to say that you have to take the vaccine. And we've seen that the rates have been pretty disappointing uh, in terms of how many folks in the military have chosen to do this. So I guess I'm just thinking how long until we get the legal challenges that come about with this? And is this going to be something that's decided on a state by state level in terms of what the law looks like? It depends on what the challenge is and to whom. Um, obviously, a challenge against a private employer is much less likely to succeed than a challenge against the government. But I'm just going to tell you this. I, I don't think this is an open question as far as whether or not the government can require vaccinations in order to um, avail yourself of government access. We that that issue has been resolved. It's been resolved for over 100 years with the Supreme Court of the United States, which says the answer is yes, they can require vaccinations. They can vaccinations before your kids can go to school. They can re- require vaccinations for you to have um, certain privileges at, say, government owned hospitals and the like. So I don't think that this is an open question where it gets hairy is if you have a religious uh, affiliation that's against vaccinations, you can prove by science the only person you're potentially harming is you. And I don't think the science is there to support that yet. And and I don't know if we'll ever get there. But if they did, the, and it was the government uh, requiring the vaccination, I think that you have a leg to stand on. But we're we're miles from there. Coming up, we'll uh, continue with Justin Watkins. 5709000 is the number here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. And I do want to get into uh, many people who are angry at baseball, or at least faux angry at baseball, and uh, what that antitrust exemption means if there are some political folks who want to remove it from baseball. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. So Justin, right to it with Deshaun Watson. What do you think of the decision that the accusers have to have their names revealed? I thought it was the right thing. Um, in Texas, there is 
only protection for filing lawsuits via pseudonym uh, if you meet two conditions. One, you're a victim of sexual assault, and two, you're a minor. And so there was neither of those situations here. Um, so I was surprised that they were even required to file a motion. They did file a motion. They won on the motion. Um, I thought it was odd that Attorney Busby came out today and said we had tried to talk to them about giving them the names, um, but but they but we didn't get there um, because in the filing paperwork, I didn't see anything where they alleged that in court. They only said that in a press statement. So I don't by Rusty Harden's position, he he said we demanded the names. They said no, file a motion. So he filed a motion and he put that in his affidavit in the court papers. So one person saying one thing to the court and one thing and the same thing to the press, the other saying something to the press and not saying it to the court. And I tend to believe the one who's consistent across both. It looks like one woman is uh, dropped out for fear of scrutiny. This is kind of what you fear, doesn't it? This is poor lawyering. That's what all. If you have one of these 22 women drop out of the case because they're now going to be made public, you did, I think, a poor job of counseling your client as to what was about to happen. Uh, in Nevada, their names would have been kept um, private if they are a victim or alleged victim of sexual assault. But you can ruin that privilege being able to file under a pseudonym if you do what Busby did here, go out into the public realm, make a bunch of accusations, put on press conferences, say things in addition to the press that you're not saying to the court um, under the protections of Jane Doe. And the court can and does take away your pseudonym protections, uh, you know, takes away the anonymity that you can file with at that point. So yes, they would have been able to file as Jane Doe's here, but based on the way that they conducted themselves in the press conferences, I think that there is a, a real risk that they would have lost that privilege. Ultimately, is this guy turned into a freaking disaster, this Busby guy, the way he's handled it? We'll see how, how many of these hold up. I mean, we, don't, I mean we, we still haven't really gotten a look at the proof, and there may be awesome proof on their side. Maybe if there's if there's awesome proof on their side, I don't know why they wouldn't give that to the police um, or at least feign cooperation with the police. Um, but they are doing a real poor job of that. Um, clearly, if one of the clients dropped out, he either did not properly counsel her or they made it. They made a educated decision which is or risk they took a calculated risk where they said hey listen i know you don't want your name out there you know you know you don't want your name out there we're going to file your claim under jane doe eventually the court is going to for me to disclose your name or have the case dismissed we'll just have the case dismissed at that point but your part in all of this is going to be another person who tells the story out there so that they know that the numbers are high and that to you to you is maybe worth it if that was the counseling okay um but i think ethically you're skirting a really uh, dangerous line there as to whether or not that that's okay justin as someone who is just trying to follow this case in general um we talk a lot about the fact that it's being fought publicly right it's being fought in the court of public opinion and as someone just trying to keep up with it i'm having a very difficult time is that the point 
Is that is that the entire point for at least one of these sides to make it so that it is very difficult to follow this thing? I don't know. If if I had to guess, and it's a complete guess, I don't know this. If I had to guess why it's being presented in the press and the manner in which it's being presented by the plaintiffs, it is a recruiting tool. It is trying to establish enough people who are willing to come forward that if there are anybody else that they feel comfortable coming forward to and the numbers increase. And largely we've seen that that's been the case because I think the first the first iteration was seven. And we've continued, then it went to 12 and then it went higher and higher and higher. So I think that that's why they went to the press because I cannot think of a legally sufficient basis for doing that and how it's going to help you win a case either a great settlement or trial because the reality is is the going to the press is kind of a it's kind of your trump card in your back pocket it's not something you're supposed to leverage like that ethically speaking but in a case like this if you haven't gone to the press you know that the defense does not go to the press that's your potential to try to strike a deal to get the case settled here they tried that he said he called their bluff said i'm not paying you off they filed the lawsuit they could have filed the lawsuit and kept somewhat vague and not gone to the press and again tried to leverage stories and their numbers to grow and and not played that that trump card so early but here they did and I, the only thing i can think of as to why they would do it is to recruit more people Justin Watkins, Legal Insider, Battlemore and Injury Lawyers, as uh, we're hanging out at the Battlemore and Broadcast Center. Uh, let's close on this one. Anger last week. A lot of anger last week. A uh, highly debatable topic. We can probably hit on this a little more in our podcast. We do a 9 o'clock podcast live on Thursday nights, Law and Sporter. But I saw a, uh, a South Carolina rep, Jeff Duncan, came out after Major League Baseball pulled the All-Star game from Georgia, and he's like, that antitrust exemption, it is time to re-examine it. What is it? So the antitrust exemption pro- from Congress to determine whether or not baseball has uh, competitive, uh, either anti-competitive or competitive environment to the industry. Meaning, Congress can, from time to time, they do it. They've done it recently with Microsoft and Apple. They could look at it and say, "You've got too much power over this industry. You have a monopoly, and therefore, we're going to require you to break up." The, the classic example every lawyer hears about this when we're learning about it in law school is the telephone companies. There was Bell, then there's Pacific Bell, then there's they broke them up numbers of times over and over and over again so there wasn't just one company uh, being the telephone utility. An antitrust exemption not only does that, but it has tax ramifications too. A, a large of your expenses can be... Um, their tax write-offs and, a, and they're a benefit to you in the tax code that you you can lose in the antitrust. Not because antitrust has anything to do with tax, but this particular particular exemption, the way they codified it, has allowed that. So what do you think of this political move? I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Not, at least not currently. Um, while the Democrats are in of all three houses, I mean, yes, the Republicans are upset about it, but because the Republicans are upset about it, the Democrats are happy about it, and they're the ones that are currently in power. Where would it have to go to actually 
mean something, I think the the upset party, the aggrieved party would have to take all three houses. I mean, and that's not going to happen. Well, Biden's in office until, you know, 2024. Oh, so, until at least then. 5709000 is the number. It's 5709000. Justin, good job. Appreciate it. Four o'clock hour is on the way. We'll check in with uh, Caleb Herring on UNLV football and what's on before the draft in uh, 15 minutes. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers 702 570 9000 with your questions today.